Welcome to the Mind Food Podcast, where we delve into the world of smart thinking content. I'm your host, Michael McHugh, the founder of Mind Food. At Mind Food, we believe in providing our listeners with the very best and latest in community, health, beauty and style, home and travel, food and drink, and much more. Join us as we explore fascinating topics, interview experts, and provide insights into living your very best life. This is the Mind Food Podcast. Today we speak to Damien Perry from Herta Gruten Cruises. Now, Damien, you're the managing director of Herta Gruten Cruises. Now, that's a Norwegian company. We've been around for 130 years, believe it or not. Did they start as a small fishing, you know, in a small fishing village? Well, actually, they started by a chap called Rickard Witt. And his concept was that he took a ship called Vesteralen and it was to connect the small communities along the coast of Norway because Norway, if you've been to Norway. I have. Yeah, and it's stunning and it's beautiful, it and, beautiful. but it's very, very remote, especially yes. on the coast. So he wanted to connect all these communities up and down the coast during summer and winter. And the first priority was actually the postal service ah. to actually connect using freight uh, and then connecting families up and down the coast. Over many, many, many years, 130 years, it's developed into more of a tourism operation. And believe it or not, we still do the post. Oh, really? Yes. Is it a family-run company? No, it's not a family-run. No. It's actually owned by a corporation in London and some major shareholders in Norway as well. So some very big characters in Norway. Now, that's a beautiful stretch of coastline, probably one of the most beautiful in the world. What do you think are the real trigger points for people that they love about it? Oh, there, there are so many elements to it. This, this, is, this is actually considered the world's most beautiful sea voyage. We didn't name it that. That was done independently. And, and I think one thing that's really important is it is absolutely stunning. There's no place on the planet like the coast of Norway, without, without a doubt. But I think what draws people back is the, is the beauty, uh, for a start, the beautiful high mountains, the fjords, mm. the, you know, the pristine nature. But there's actually more and more to it than just that beauty itself. There's the, the seasonality. You know, winter, uh, when you head above the Arctic Circle, you're in the polar night. In summer, you have midnight sun. So there's two reasons to go back straight away <laughs> because <laughs> of the season. But it is crazy to get your head around that, isn't it? That it they is. have about two or three hours of night and then the rest is sun. It's bizarre. It, it, well, actually, if you go above the Arctic Circle, the sun won't actually set. You can actually see it across the horizon, very, very low. Yeah. But you go to this beautiful, beautiful dusk and at the, the twilight. It's just stunning. It's absolutely stunning. But, the, um, but it doesn't quite set. So you, it, the big thing you have to work on when you're up at that high is your, your cadence of when you need to sleep yes. because it's very, very easy to stay awake or you go out for dinner and then you go um, have a drink somewhere and then yeah. you realise it's two in the morning because yeah. it's still daylight. And, it's, um, and it, is, it is stunning though, that, that beautiful seasonality between summer, which is an absolute attraction. And when you talk to the Norwegians, I often have this conversation with the Norwegians because, because the Australians and New Zealanders, they love the winter experience mm. because it's incredibly unique, a polar mm. night mm. where the sun doesn't rise. Mm. I mean, that is so unique in its own right. And those dancing night skies, you know, it's extraordinary, the colours, and it it, is. isn't it? You know, that is some, that's a bucket list moment. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. The, the, the lights themselves are a massive attraction. Okay? Yeah, okay. But the whole experience of that whole polar night period is an attraction because it's dark in the morning when you get up. And then it's not actually dark during the day. It actually is a purple, it's a purple light. 
Mm. So it's a beautiful, beautiful light. So you can still see things, but that little bit of light between say 11 and maybe three, 11 and two, where it's just that beautiful purple haze, mm. it is absolutely stunning. And then you go back into the night again. But it's but the thing about Norway is it's set up for it. It can handle the polar night. It can handle the the winter, the the all the ice and snow and everything that happens during winter. And it handles summer beautifully as well. So the seasonality is another mass, massive attraction. Yeah. And people want to see the lights in winter. Yeah. One of the most popular things that people are, are seeking right now is that experience of going out onto the deck and and when you're on Hurdy Gruten, you're along the coast of Norway. So one of the greatest things is you're actually away from the artificial light of towns and cities. So you're actually out on the deck at night. The captain will announce the lights are out in the sky and people just rush out onto the wow. deck. They want to get some beautiful photos and experience those beautiful lights through the sky. And the, the more intense they are, the more exciting because they change colour. They go from a green to a red and a purple. Yeah. So that is amazing itself. Can you actually guarantee a sighting? Because I guess as you're moving along the coast and you're on for, you know, multiple days, you're bound to get them. Wouldn't you, you? Like I, I know you can't guarantee everything, but you'd have a pretty good chance. We actually do a guarantee. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yes. Okay. And look, it's, it's something special to us. We believe that because of exactly as you've said that, we're moving along the coast. We have you know, crew and captains and uh, officers on board all the time and they can spot the lights if it's 2 a.m. in the morning or 3 a.m. or 5 o'clock in the afternoon and they will announce on the ship uh, through a little system and tell people if they wish to see the lights so they can come outside. So we actually do a guarantee, believe it or not. If you, wow. can get, if you go up to the, to the coast of Norway with Hurdy Gruden during the light season and you don't see them, we give you another free trip. No. So we do. We absolutely do. I wish I knew that. I've been to Norway and <laughs> spent five very cold nights waiting and waiting and waiting. Yeah. Is that right? It's all right. And, and, and it's because of what you said. It's because of the fact that we actually, we're moving along the coast. Yes. So the weather conditions change. Now, I've been up to Svalbard, yep. right up in the archipelago there. And I've spent five nights up there and didn't see the lights yeah. because of the cloud and storms. Were well, we on the same things. trip? Honestly, it's now yeah, yeah. very <laughs> similar. <laughs> but the day I left, the next the next morning, I get a call from the friend who lives up in Long Ebion in Svalbard and sends her all these images because the cl- sky cleared and then all of a sudden the lights perfect. were some of the most spectacular lights she's ever seen in her life. I'm yeah. Like, Great. Mr. <laughs> by a day. But, um, but the advantage is when you're going up and down the coast, um, yeah. it's, it's really, really exciting because people are really anxious and excited and anticipation of the lights coming out. So it's always on. And you'll see them, you know, you'll see them doing random things. You'll be walking on the street in one of the towns and you'll see the lights come out. Wow. Or one of our team members was up there recently and they were doing dog sledding. She's got this most incredible photo of a dog sledding through the snow and the lights right in front of her. Do you think yeah. the locals take it for granted? It's like, oh, yeah, that Absolutely. old thing. Yeah. Absolutely do. Absolutely. They love it too. Mm. There's no doubt about it. Mm. But um, for them, it's, oh, the lights. Yep. Mm. And, uh, but they tell a lot of stories in their life as well. So when they're young kids, the lights mean something and it's the spirits and the excitement and the lights as they get older and older and yet to a point where, ah, oh, it's the lights. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> now, 130 years, you're still delivering mail, but let's be honest, those ships have changed a lot and sustainability is a really key part of the whole company. You are the forerunners in lots of ways in the cruising industry of what you're adopting there. Tell us a little bit more to that. The one thing that's really important about Hurdy Gruden is that sustainability is embedded in what we do. It's in our DNA. Mm. And it actually started very, very early in the piece. It started around 1896. We started sailing in 1893 with Rickard Witt on Vestor Island up and down the coast. Then we started sailing on, in 1896 up to Svalbard. 
And straight away at that very at first sailing, we started collecting data about the water, water conditions and salinity and other things in the water. And we shared that with scientists and we shared that with universities. And so you can see from the very, very start, science meant something. Probably didn't know why it meant something, but it was actually just built into our DNA and it actually grew and grew through the business forever. And right now we are the leader when it comes to innovation and progression when it looks at sustainability. And we focus on different areas on sustainability in our organisation, but it actually comes from within the organisation. It's not the owners or the CEO or the board or others saying, let's do this. It actually comes from the people within the organisation. And a great example of that is when a number of years ago now, we removed single-use plastic from our ship. We're the first company in the world to do this. We removed 32,000 tonnes of single-use plastic from our fleet, never to be seen again. And we did that in partnership with our suppliers. So we actually went back to suppliers and said, hey, um, we're going to remove single-use plastic. So there's no longer plastic forks or plastic plates or plastic cups, you know, all this sort of stuff, So um, or single-use plastic cups. And we said, look, we, we've, we're going to move this but we want to do it in partnership with you. So they then changed their model as well and they actually started uh, providing sustainable solutions to that. But that first step came because one of our team leaders on board the ship went up and fundamentally harassed the CEO and said, Daniel, why do we have single-use plastic on this ship when we're sailing these pristine waters and there's such an issue with microplastics and waste and garbage in the ocean and garbage on the beaches? And that was the thing that changed that whole process. And then, voila, it's actually changed right across our fleet, which is amazing. But that's just one example of the many, many, many micro projects we do. Mm. And we use the UN Sustainability Goals at our framework. So, Damien, tell me about the citizen science programs because they sound extraordinary and they've been going for a while. And some of the numbers you're getting in terms of the programs that you've put in place are amazing. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, the citizen science is actually another wonderful thing that we do. And we've invested a huge amount of real estate on our ships to actually accommodate citizen science projects. And citizen science projects vary greatly in what they actually do. They sometimes work with universities, sometimes with institutions, but they're always backed with uh, scientific-based information, uh, research and resources behind them. And then the great thing about citizen science is that our clients or our travellers, our guests, get to participate in it. And you see this across all of our fleet, across Norway, around the world. And one of the really exciting things about citizen science is about... 66% of all our guests participate in citizen science, which is quite extraordinary. If you go down to Antarctica, I would say nearly it's 100%. Oh, really? Absolutely. Because when you're down in Antarctica, you're in this incredible environment, you know, this pristine environment, and it all comes rushing to you about how fragile the world is Mm -hmm. and what's actually, what's ahead of us. And you see this momentum grow and people participate in all these activities. But You'll see in, in the areas, different areas of the world, you'll see more and more participation, but overall 66%, which is incredible. Absolutely incredible that that many people are interested in this. We've built on our ships these science centres and they're extraordinary. You know, they're, they're the highest quality science centres. They've got wet areas, we've got microscopes, we've got samples, we've got researchers on board. So we actually work with a, a really cool organisation called the University of Tasmania and they have an Antarctic program through IMAS and we take their researchers down each year 
I think next season we're taking about 17 researchers wow, down really? through the season, which is quite amazing. And how far do you go into Antarctica? Like, Well, we go down the peninsula and this season we cross the Antarctic Circle twice. Oh, okay. Which is quite incredible yeah. and quite concerning because actually if we can cross the Antarctic Circle twice, it means there's less ice than there was the last few years. So it's a bit of a double-edged sword, that one. But, but great research, I'd imagine. Incredible like research. In- Incredible research. And, and so organisations like the Norwegian Institute of Water, UTAS, uh, Cambridge University, others, they all participate, bring their researchers on board. The deal is if you're doing research on board our ships, you're actually welcoming our guests to join in on your research. So the really, really proactive researchers then come on board and actually invite you in to participate and do samples. And I experienced it for myself. It was one of the funniest things ever. Well, down in Antarctica... We actually announced that we're going to collect some phytoplankton samples. We need some samples for the researcher. This is the project. And during the week, they're doing lectures and they're explaining the research and what they're looking for and the outcomes and how it impacts, you know, this one was how it impacts krill fishing and the movement of seals, etc. All this sort of stuff was very, very exciting. And we said, oh, look, we need to get some samples. Please come down to the mudroom, which is the, the room to get onto the zodiacs, if you're interested in collecting samples. So the researcher's standing down there. And our expedition team standing down there, ready to launch one of our Zodiacs. Just one. hundred people turned up. Oh. Nearly everyone turned up. Everyone wants it. Everyone yeah. wants to be part of it. So yeah. then, the re- then all of a sudden the expedition team are called up. Hey, okay, guys, we need to get all the Zodiacs out. Yeah, we yeah, need, yeah, everyone yeah. wants to go out and collect samples. So they went out and collect water samples, phytoplankton samples. They did the whole thing. They did disc sampling. They did a whole lot of different activities. But don't you think, as a traveller, people are more and more wanting that very hands-on experience? The, the days of gone of, I just want to lie on a ship all day by the pool and drink. We've got the curious traveller. We've got yeah. the traveller who's after that really rich experience, mm-hmm. who, are, who are going away and they, they still want to learn. They still want to engage. They still want to challenge themselves or be challenged through different activities. When you're on board a Hurtigruten ship, you can sit in the bar and have the finest champagne and drink the nicest wine and sit in these beautifully Nordic-designed cabins and comfortable Scandinavian-designed chairs and beautiful beds. You can do everything in that area. But the thing is our travellers take advantage of that and then actually participate. And they really, really do participate. So they're curious about the destination. And if we go back to Norway for a second and we talk about the really interest along the Norway, it's not just the seasonality or the weather or or the beautiful coast, it's all the, the cultural experiences as well. So we're actually stopping into small villages and small towns and even bigger towns. And, and you see the travellers, they disperse, they get out there and they're actually engaging. Yeah. So they're, this, they're the sort of traveller who comes with us. You're also using a lot of the local food, aren't you? Like I think it's sort of 40%, which is if you've never cruised before, I think naively people think, oh, well, aren't you stopping into that port so wouldn't you just buy it? It doesn't work like that. But you guys actually are using a lot of the local produce. We do. It's it's actually a priority, the local produce. So, in fact, when we're cruising up and down the coast, our menu is not set. Well, if you joined Hedigruten in Bergen and you're heading to Kirkenes, you actually won't know and we won't tell you what's on the menu for the next few days because we don't actually know. Oh, it's that fresh. It's that fresh. So the the chefs and the restaurant team are out there and they're booking ahead as they go. And so they'll call the next port and say, what's available? What fish has been caught? You know, what, what fresh food is available? So they actually progress during the journey and they actually get fresh food from the ports as we go along and they do do that. Our goal is 80% locally supplied fresh food as we go around Gosh. the world. Now, that's very difficult in really remote areas. Yeah. But one thing we did this year, we do this very, very well in Norway, but the big challenge is somewhere like Antarctica. How do you get food there? And historically, the whole industry would 
fill containers, freeze them, and then send them across the ocean on ships, land them into Ushuaia, leave these containers running for the season, and each trip they'd go and get all the frozen food and bring it on board. Now, we've made a commitment to actually source our food from Argentina and Chile, which is both wonderful when it comes to great food. So, again, we'll be able to achieve this goal of 80% locally sourced food wherever we actually go. As a company, you've actually set yourself some pretty high benchmarks to achieve. You know, you've got that extraordinary hybrid ship, and perhaps we talk first to that, but then what you're actually around sustainability, but you've got some pretty extraordinary goals. It sounds like it's completely throughout the business anyway, but tell me about that and, and some of those goals. Yeah, well, we've got, we've got some big goals. The first goal I think that's facing us right now, which is, a, is the big hurdle, is a zero emission ship on the coast of Norway by 2030. It's not far away. It's not far away. But there's a significant investment mm. and multiple partners across Europe right now working day and night to create this solution because a zero emission ship is our ultimate goal. And then I guess once that is successful, that goes across the entire fleet. It'll go across the entire fleet and it'll go hopefully go across the industry. So if yeah. we take a step back for a second, we banned heavy fuel oil in 2009. Heavy fuel oil is that gunk when you see those big oil spills, which kills everything. A lot of ships still use heavy fuel oil, especially big ships. So we banned that in 2019. We're actually still campaigning to ban any heavy fuel oil in the Arctic. So that's at any ships at all. Then we started looking at this and saying there's more that we can do. So we're refurbishing a lot of our ships, which means we refurbish the engines. We've put battery power on all of our ships. There's two things to battery power. One is plug-in. So when you're in port, you actually go to a port and you plug in and then you run your ship on battery. So zero emissions while you're in port. Now that's really good for the ship. It's really good for the people on board, but it's better for the community. Mm. Because you remember a few years ago, there were real issues with ships pulling into places like Venice and all the pollution coming out mm. of the ships and the impact it made on the, on, on the buildings themselves, let alone people's lives. So we've actually committed to actually using electric power when we're in port. So we plug and go, which is just like your plug-in car, which is great. You make it sound so simple, but when you think about it, it's amazing that it wasn't done years ago. It is amazing because you see, I agree, it is, it is somewhat simple. Maybe we're just moving very quickly at the moment. The one challenge, I think, is some areas of the world and some ports, you can't access yeah. the solution. But what we've got right now is a system that works beautifully in Norway and many ports, and we're actually working with partners all over the world to put more of that in. Now, the other thing that we do is actually we've built these incredible hybrid-powered ships. Now, these hybrid battery-powered ships, uh, now the best way to explain them is remember the Toyota Prius mm-hmm. or your, new, your yeah. hybrid cars today? So you motor along, you charge your batteries, then your batteries are used for peak shaving. So when you need extra power or when you're uh, manoeuvring, we use the batteries a lot when we come into port. So again, remove any emissions, come in the port in zero emission, and we use battery power to come up alongside. Or we use it into areas and, and p- just imagine just for one second. You're sailing into one of the most pristine areas of the world down in Antarctica and then you turn the batteries on and you turn the combustion engine off and you come in to one of these pristine coves where you can actually still hear the birds on shore and wow. the seals and the whales taking a breath mm. and, you, and you think, well, this is quite incredible because all that noise goes away and it becomes very, very, very quiet as you come in and you're not creating any emissions as you're doing this. So that's where we actually really get very, very excited about the technology we're using. But the next step now is actually how do we take that further 
and completely wipe out emissions mm. because battery power ensure is reducing emissions. Battery power um, on our hybrid ships is reducing emissions. We use biofuel as well, and biofuel though is made from agricultural waste and fish waste, and that lowers emissions as well. So there's all these great steps, but the ultimate goal is our first ship in 2030. That's the number one, is a zero emission ship by 2030 and net zero emissions by 2050. Are you on track for that, do you think? I believe we're on track. It's a challenge. It's there's there's, there's yeah. no doubt about it. It is an absolute challenge, but we've got incredible organisations across Europe and we've got investment behind this as well to actually achieve this. And we've got commitment more than anything else. And when I say we've got commitment, it actually runs through the whole organisation from anyone on the ship, the captains, the crew, the officers, the staff who work on the ships, the land-based staff, and then the management. And in fact, our executive management team are actually incentivised by this. Ah, okay. So it's actually embedded into what they do on a daily basis. And then to top it off, our board and our owners are committed as well. And I think that's the big difference because you see people potentially make some progress, but some of that progress will take you to compliance. This organisation is ignoring compliance and going way past it. There's over 3,000 staff in the company and almost 40% of them are women, which is actually very high for a cruise company. Has that been a real initiative? How has that sort of come about? It's been an initiative to some degree, but we know we need to do more in this area. We focus a lot on diversity and we focus a lot on women in leadership as well. And we do have the most incredible women across our business, but it varies in different areas. So for example, one of the big challenges for us is that we want to see more women as captains and officers. That's just a challenge. We need to make it attractive. We need, we need to make it interesting. We need to make it safe and comfortable. And we need to allow them to be empowered to have those roles in a traditionally men's environment. And that's a real focus for us. And that's where we do use initiatives. The other one is across our business, you'll see that actually we have many, many women leaders. Actually, the CEO of Hurdy Group in Norway is a woman, Hedda. The CEO of Hurdy Group Expeditions, Asta, is a woman. So we actually have some great leaders in our business that are women as well. But we actually look at this and think there's a lot more we can do. And it's not forced because we still want to employ the best people and bring the best people in our organisation. But the awareness is very, very high. And our, our goal is to have over 40% of our women in leadership roles. That's something that's really important to us as well. I want to go back to something you mentioned about the Scandinavian design of the rooms and actually inside the ship. Talk to me a little bit more about that as an experience for a guest because, you know, a lot of our listeners cruise. They have their favourite cruise lines. But what makes Huda Gruden inside the ship a very different experience? I think there is one. The, the design of the ship is beautiful in the fact that if you, if you like a very Nordic, Scandic design and Scandic furniture and the colours, those earthy colours and the wood grain and all that sort of stuff, then you'll actually, you'll find that actually it is attractive in its own right. And so there's a lot of beauty on the ship and it's done in a way that is actually not cluttered. It's very spacious and very comfortable as well. So if you look at the ship and you walk on, you'll think straight away, I'm walking into a beautifully designed set here because it's done in such a lovely way and a very, very high quality too as well. All the furniture is quite incredible. Thomas Westergaard, his name was, he spent, you know, years poring over what chair belongs where and what, what table and what colour. He was one of our design creators. So when you walk on board and you have this beautiful, you walk into this beautiful environment 
And then we have multiple areas. So you have some cafe areas which are very comfortable. You've got our bar area which has, you know, panoramic windows, floor to ceiling. You have a beautiful bar area. And so one of the wonderful things I love, it's got a, a fireplace in the middle. It's a, it's a faux fire but it actually hits, hits, sets out some heat as well. So when you're cruising on the coast of Norway, polar night, You've got the beautiful mountains shimmering with the snow. You're sitting in a bar with your champagne or your gin or your beer or your wine or whatever you choose, and you're in this beautiful, warm environment as well. We have these beautiful environments where people can relax. But beyond the design, beyond the, the cabins, the restaurants, the bar areas, the communal areas, the feeling on board is very, very comfortable. Mm. And that's the big thing I think that differs us from others is, or differentiates us from others in the fact that, you know, the Norwegian people and the Scandinavian people are very similar to the Australians and the New Zealanders. Mm. They're casual, they're very authentic, they're genuine, they're transparent, they say it how it is, they're honest. I just love the way they actually deal with things and their personality, which means you get on board and it's a, just, a, just a very casual welcome, feel at home, relax, be mm. part of this journey. There is no casinos. <laughs> Now, the interesting thing is 130 years, you're known for Norway, but you're really opening up. There's so many other destinations out there across the globe. Tell me a little bit about those. Yeah, that's right. We've been operating for 130 years in Norway, which is wonderful. However, we've been operating for over 20 years in Antarctica. So we took a number of ships down there over 20 years ago now. And this season we had three ships in Antarctica. But we're connecting the world because if you think about that, we do all the Americas, we do Chile, we do Argentina, we head along the coast. We do Galapagos on one mm. of our ships, which actually only carries 100 people on MS Santa Cruz. Beautiful ship, refurbished, ready for Galapagos. And we carry 100 people on that ship that is dedicated to the Galapagos, which is quite incredible. We do the coast of America because we're heading up now to Canada and Alaska. We're, we're heading up to the Northwest Passage, okay. which will connect us to Greenland. Yeah. Greenland, Iceland, Svalbard as well. And that is incredible. If you've experienced Antarctica... I ask you to experience the high Arctic as well yeah. because you're just, it's a very different experience, but you'll be blown away. So we head up the coast of America and then we're heading up to Canada and Alaska because we're heading off to the Northwest Passage now, which will connect us to Greenland. And then from Greenland, that connects us across to Iceland, Svalbard, and then we're still up the high Arctic in Norway as well. However, now we're heading down south. We head across down to Western Europe and we head down to Africa. And we oh. actually, believe it or not, we sail in West Africa as well to some very, very remote areas. So at the moment, we actually do pole-to-pole experiences. And we do have travellers, quite a few travellers now, who join us for these pole-to-pole experiences as well. But do consider, if you've been to Antarctica, consider the high Arctic. Yeah. Because it's very, very different, but it's incredibly unique and remote. And these destinations from pole-to-pole, they, they're actually very moving. It's just, it's not... It's not just a cruise. You're going to these destinations and you're going to places that are very, very rich in experiences, very, very rich in knowledge, and you're actually moved by it because you take things home with you. Years and years ago, I'm, I'm the MD for, for Hurtigruden for this part of the world. Mm. So part of my role is to sell the product and the destinations and what we do. And many, many years ago, I used to do presentations and sell Antarctica. And I'd get up there and I'd tell the story about Antarctica. And a gentleman came up to me afterwards and he said, hey, he goes, hi, Damien, great stories, really good, really exciting, but you haven't been to Antarctica, have you? <laughs> and I said, um, no, I haven't been yet. And he said, I can tell because everything you're talking about is quite, quite right. It was correct, but it was done in a format that actually this is what we do, this is how we do it, this is the thing. 
And he said, come back and talk to me when you've been to Antarctica. I remember coming back from Antarctica and I was doing a presentation to some guests and I couldn't say anything. I was trying to explain the experience. And when you go to Antarctica or when you go to the high Arctic as well, and it's, it's equal, is you're heading up to these destinations and it's actually not what you see. It's actually what you feel as well. And, and when I say feel, it's the tactical feel of the cold weather on your face or the, the sound of, of birds or whales. I love the sound of whales when they're breaching out of the water or when you actually hear the um, seals playing and barking and all this sort of stuff. All these things happen. Yeah. And all of a sudden all this comes to you and you sort of get a little bit, oh, my God, what, what am I talking about? What's happening? Because there's so many great feelings and you're overwhelmed by, by what you see anyway. But it's just, it's just a sensory overload. There will be issues, though, wouldn't there, in terms of creating great itineraries and working with locals to make sure that that emotional connection is there rather than, you know, perhaps an obvious onshore experience. How difficult has that been in, in moving into these new areas and finding, you know, itineraries and people to work with locally that can give you that? We do a lot of work on this. We learnt a lot working along the coast of Norway. We learnt a lot over the many, many years of, and we've done things wrong in the past for sure. But right now our whole focus is engaging with local communities wherever we, wherever we travel. So when we go to a destination, our goal is to work with that local community. They become our partner in this experience. They actually become our supplier in their experience. It's not owned by us. We don't control it. We actually work with them and say, these, these are the guests that are coming. This is what they're interested in. What can we create that will actually be really rich but actually highlight your community and what things are important to you but also interest our guests on board. So we actually work in partnership with Every Go, which is fantastic. And we do a lot of research on that. We're actually thinking about a new area of the world. Now, I can't say too much about it, but I can tell you that we've spent over two years in that area of the world with researchers already meeting with every single community that we're actually going to spend time with, sitting down with them day after day, talking to them about what's important to them, what we think we can do with them and not treat it as a zoo, actually literally come to these communities, spend time with them and they spend time with us and then continue our journey. And it's been quite a journey, two years of research face-to-face on ground with these communities. And that's going to be very, very exciting when we get this over the line. But that's the big difference about how we Mm. travel and how we engage and how important it is to us. I think last year alone we spent about $16 million on local excursions run by local people, not by us. You know, when you think about it and just listening to you, that's how it should be. Absolutely. Because that's what you want. As, as someone on board, you, you want to experience the local experience, don't you? Absolutely you do. You, yep, without question. And we, we often bring locals on board to tell their story as well. So in remote areas, especially on the Northwest Passage, even researchers that are doing research on ground. So another good example is where we we actually sailing in Antarctica and we actually took researchers and all their research material and equipment and would actually drop them off in certain points across Antarctica. And every time one of our ships came through every three weeks, would come back, would bring them on board. They would share their research with all the guests on board, have a shower and a meal, and then we'd put them back on <laughs> back in their tent again. Don't leave me. Yeah. <laughs> it's very cold. <laughs> it is about that connection. With, yeah. with everyone we work with, all our partners, and that's exciting because, you know, it, it builds a genuine experience. Last year we were sailing around Iceland, and due to winds we couldn't do a specific landing. So the captain, who's Icelandic, said, 
I know what we can do. We can take this ship around, further around the coast, and we'll go into my village. And so everyone's thinking, oh, this is a bit strange. What's happening here? We can't do a landing because of the conditions. We can't get off the ship. So we're moving around. So they went around the, further around the coast into a fjord. They landed the ship. Everyone came off board. Who did the experience? The captain. The captain took them for walks around oh, the village wow. and into the hills and sh- met with the farmers and the whole thing. It was one of the greatest highlights of that whole journey. And oh, all man. the travellers were coming back and say, I can't believe we've been to where the captain who grew up as a kid. I can't believe we experienced this with the captain showing us around his tiny little village and the community and everyone welcomed us. So, no, those sort of deep experiences yeah. are what make us really... Is it on weird. the itinerary for the next year? No, no, he hasn't gone back and done it again. Now, Damien, I ask everyone on the podcast, what has been your favourite meal in your life? Wow, my favourite meal. The brain is ticking. I think it's probably, it was a, it was a moment when my wife and I were in Rome and we were sitting in one of a tiny little piazza and we just had a local Italian restaurant. Mum was in the back cooking the meal. The son was the waiter. He was bringing out the wine. He ended up sitting down with us and talking to us for a very, very long time. I don't know what we ate. I can't remember. Ah. Maybe it was a pasta, I'm sure. It was a beautiful, warm night. And I'd actually put that down if, as soon as you said that, that I think about where we ate and what we've done, that would be the one. Damien, lovely to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Been great. We hope you found this episode interesting. And if you enjoyed this content, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a rating and review. Also be sure to check out Mind Food magazine for even more smart thinking content. In our next episode, we speak to clinical psychologist Dr. Emily O'Leary, Managing Director of Anxiety House and OCD Clinic in Brisbane and Queensland about dealing with social anxiety. Until next time, keep learning, growing and exploring. I'm Michael McHugh, founder of MindFood.